Welcome. 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 You're listening to Built by Us. Built by Us. Built by Us. Built by Us. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Built by Us. It's Alyssa and Taylor here, and today we are continuing our series of highlighting Latinx and Hispanic movement makers from across North Carolina. If you've been listening to our past episodes, then you know that we've been doing this series for a few months now, and we're really excited to just be able to keep it going this week with another amazing guest. Yes, I am feeling really good today because we are joined by Michelle Bermeo-Betancourt, the longtime development manager of El Pueblo. Michelle, thank you so much for being here today. No, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really looking forward to talking with y'all today. Okay, so before we begin, uh, Michelle, could you tell us a little bit about yourself as a person? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm originally a New Yorker. So I was uh, born and raised in New York until I was about 12 years old, and then Um, We moved to North Carolina uh, because my family, my dad had family here and, you know, New York was very expensive, wanted to buy a home. And so that was more feasible here. So I moved here. Um, And my mom is originally from Colombia. My dad is from Ecuador. Very, very tied to my roots, my Latin American roots. Um, So, you know, when I moved to North Carolina, I was looking for my people, right? Because I was very much around Colombians, Ecuadorians, folks from basically all over Latin America and here. Um, that wasn't the case when I first moved here. So, um, I mean, I did find community with other Latin American folks, um, you know, primarily Mexicans and Central American folks, but, you know, it's always nice to have folks who, you know, share your cultural background. So as Raleigh has grown, it's been really cool to like connect with other Colombians and Ecuadorians in the area. And um, yeah, really seeing our community grow has been, has been astounding really because it's just grown by leaps and bounds. Um, I'm also a big cat person, big dog person, love playing on my Nintendo Switch. Um, Animal Crossing has been my game lately. Um, and yeah, I um, I really love to go dancing. Of course, COVID has really uh, messed it up for me a little bit, but yeah, whenever I uh, am able to do that again, I will be doing that with all of my joy and spirit. <laughs> wow, I also love all of those things. Wait a second, I think we would be great friends, Michelle. We already have a lot in common. <laughs> Okay, so we clearly need to exchange friend codes exactly. on the Switch. Yes, we do. <laughs> well, Michelle, before, I mean, right when we started, Taylor mentioned that you're the longtime development uh, manager of El Pueblo. And I'm actually curious to know, you know, how you even got started into movement work. Um, you know, what got you activated? Wow. So, um, you know, it's funny, like when you start looking back, you're like, wow, like that's so funny that I kind of just fell backwards into this world because it's kind of how it, it happened. Um So I started doing like fundraising work as a volunteer um, in high school when I was working with a queer youth organization based in Durham called Inside Out. So we were doing a lot of queer youth activism and I got into it because we had started our GSA in our high school. We had very little support and that was one of the places that was like, yeah, we'll help you strengthen your GSA, start your GSA kind of thing. Um, And so um, you used to do fundraising campaigns to help raise funds, you know, for the org. And so I was like, I mean, I guess I'll talk to people. I'll call and ask. I was like, I don't know if I'm very good at it, but I'll do it anyway. Right. So that's kind of how I got started. And then um, I realized that nonprofit work was something you could get into. And I was very intrigued by it. So um, when I graduated college, I was like, I would really love to do more like social justice work. And so you know, Pueblo was hiring for a development person, the first ever development person. Um, and I was like, well, I have some informal skills, right? Um, 
in this area. I was like, but I can build on them. I can talk to people. And I was, you know, thankfully hired by Pueblo back in like 2014. And so um, they took a chance on me and I'm very grateful for that because um, it's really turned into like this career, right? For me, um, I've been there for like seven years now. And um, yeah, really built our, our fundraising curriculum, like in terms of like donor stewardship and like, you know, they did have, they really had strong grant writers and, and the grant program was very strong, but the individual donor piece was the one that was really missing. So, and that's where I came in and created a lot of those mechanisms. Um, and yeah, and so like, I'm actually now the development director there. Um, and so it's been, yeah, it's been a journey. Um, a lot of learning and a lot of also seeing that in the development space in particular, it's very, very difficult to like have more formalized training, right? Um, but it's been great because anytime I connect with a development, uh, a fellow development person, you know, we always exchange ideas. We're always uh, sharing information with each other. And it's really a space where I can be creative, which I really enjoy. That's awesome. Um, it's interesting that you say that your GSA, your Gay Straight Alliance was one of your first introductions because um, I feel similarly, um, my GSA and my high school was one of the first clubs I joined as a freshman. And also similarly, we didn't have very many resources. So I, you know, we weren't doing that much, but just being in that space, I think was pretty formative for, you know, just like hearing about other people's experiences. And I, I do think has had some effect on, um, you know, where I ended up as well. So um, that's really cool to hear. And I also have heard of Inside Out. So that's really great. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I will say our little DSA, like, so I went to Naito High School. So Naito High School was still very new when I went. I graduated in 2009 and we started our GSA in 2007. Uh, me and another friend, like we started our first GSA. And so, you know, there was, you know, one teacher, he wasn't really out, but everybody just knew, he never corrected us. Um, and so he was like, he sponsored the GSA for us, but we realized like the school wasn't going to do anything for us. And so we were looking for places where we could connect with folks. And so, you know, Inside Out was throwing queer prom and we're like, oh, let's do this together. And I think also like joining Inside Out, like really gave me a lens into like, oh, like a school club, like we can do stuff outside of school together too. So like the following year, we were very active. Like we organized monthly activities with the group. Like we would have a game night, a movie night. We would go to Inside Out meetings together and um, help plan Inside Out meetings or activities too, like as a whole GSA um, with other folks in the Inside Out space. So I don't know, it like really just turned the organizer in me, like just that's where she flourished. And um, yeah, it was a really cool experience. I feel like when I look back, I didn't feel like an organizer. I didn't feel like I was doing a whole lot, but I'm like, no, that was organizing work that I was doing. Um, so yeah, it's really interesting to like look back and be like, I've been doing this work over a long time, a lot longer than I really thought I was. Yeah, definitely. I mean, just having um, having movie nights, having game nights, that's building community, which is the thing yeah. that you need to do, even if you're not necessarily taking a sort of specific action for your goals, um, you're still building community and you're making that space um, that is comfortable for everybody there. And hopefully more people will join you. Absolutely. I think one of the things that I, like appreciate as I get older is that spaces for joy for community are just as important as the spaces for action and for fighting back. Um, you know, because you need 
you need that those spaces of joy and community to really like rest and re-up, right? Like I think those are one of the ways in which I get energy, right? Is when I just get to hang out with my community and my folks and like just be joyful around each other and enjoy each other's company. I think that's one of the best ways that I I get like I feel more or I feel like I get more energy for for the fights that are coming. Mm. Restorative joy. Yes, absolutely. So um Recently, as you mentioned before we got on mic, um, we had a conversation with Ileana, your uh, executive director at El Pueblo. Um, And so she helped us learn more about your organization's mission. um, And El Pueblo means community. So, Mm -hmm. but I've also read in the past that you've described El Pueblo as a way to show that you, El Pueblo, the people at El Pueblo are a group of neighbors and friends and that you're just like the people you work with. So mm-hmm. I really love that outlook and that framework. So I was wondering how you try to embody that in your day-to-day work, um, especially as you have a role in fundraising and development. Yeah, um, I think people get really intimidated, right, by like having to ask for money. They see it as begging, right? And one of the things that I always talk to folks about, that I talk with folks about, it's like when you need help, you're supposed to ask for help, right? So like, and that's what we're doing. We're inviting people into the space to help us to be part of this work. Um, And I think, you know, as someone who like was working class and comes from a working class background, like I, I always like to make sure that like, I'm never forgetting my roots and who I'm serving and like, that I'm always listening to, right? Like, like when I go into a community, I'm like, what do you need? I'm here to listen. I'm not here to tell you how to do anything. Because one of the one of the things that I believe is that everybody is an organizer. Everybody is capable. Are you planning a party? That's a skill that we use in organizing, right? Because that's planning and that's organizing people. So like I really approach people with the mindset that they already are organizers. I'm just helping them hone a skill or pick a target or help a plan campaign, right? Or help them figure out what they want to do. Um, really, I see myself as the helper, right? Like I go in there to help, right? I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm here to figure out how you can do it and, you know, reach that goal. Um, Yeah, and I always try to listen. I think that's my thing. I try to be an active listener and make sure that I understand what folks need and what they're saying. And um, yeah, and not just like parachuting, right? Like coming in and telling people what to do because I've seen it happen and it's really annoying and it's really... Uh, paternalistic and I don't want to repeat that you know so I always try to be very careful too and I really like to go into spaces being invited you know so making sure that somebody has invited me into the space versus me just showing up Um, and I feel like that has served me very well because you know people tend to see you like without with a lot of distrust when you just show up somewhere versus if you're invited they're like no we want you here which is also a really nice feeling because you know you want it in that space um And yeah, and just like telling people also, or just helping people realize like how white supremacy and capitalism um, have socialized us to believe certain things about how we can organize people and how we can organize money. Um, There's also, like we talk a lot about the shame in talking about money, right? And asking for help and how that also affects like our fundraising journeys um, and our organizing journeys. you know, I was having a conversation with my mom the other day and she was like, oh, I'm going to need help with this. And I was like, so why don't you ask your neighbor? You know, your neighbor is nice. He's helped you before. She's like, oh, yeah. And it's just like as simple as like, oh, yeah, I can ask for help. Like, um, yeah. And really making people feel powerful through that. Right. Like 
you know, you just invited this person into this space and now they want to do more stuff, right? Like that's super cool. And now they can invite other people, right? And make our movements bigger. Um, and I think that's a very powerful feeling. But yeah, I mean, the the connections are really the most important piece that I always like to highlight when I'm talking to people. It's like, it's all about who we're talking to and how we're bringing them into the space and doing this together. I think that's always the most important part. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I, I really appreciate what you're saying as you feel like your role is more of the helper of like the listener. Because here at Democracy NC, we, we regularly, in communications at least, you know, try to look at like, what do we feel our role is? You know, are we a storyteller? Things like that. And you're kind of going into the next question that we ask all of our movement makers. And it's, you know, what is your personal theory of change? And so would you say that you know, that is your personal theory of change as well? I think part of it. Um, yeah, I mean, I think with the, the theory of change is just so interesting because everybody has their own journey, right? And what has radicalized me does not mean it will radicalize somebody else, right? Um, but I think at the same time, I think if you, one of the things that I've been learning recently is like when you address people's immediate needs, you are able to like, politically educate them and transform them based on like addressing that need um you know I recently learned about like autonomous groups in Mexico and the work that they've been doing and you know what they did was start housing cooperatives and through that they started politically educating people um and I think one of the reasons why that model has been so successful is because you're alleviating a stress that has been caused by white supremacy and capitalism so that people can then tackle the root causes and then also focus on the intersectionality of our movement. Because if we're not addressing, you know, how different um, identities intersect and how, you know, those people live and experience their lives, you know, then we can't be really successful as a movement. And so I think one of the things that I think has been a real struggle in Latinx spaces um, even though Black Latin American folks exist, there's still a lot of anti-Blackness in a lot of Latinx culture. And so I think that's one of the biggest things that um, I have, like, really tried to work with communities on. It's like, you know, if one of us is, isn't free, then none of us are free. And so how can we, you know, the same things that they say about Black communities is some of the same stuff that they say about us, right? And not only that, but police and ICE are the same thing, right? They are the same branches of the same issue in our community, right? That has to stem with um, criminalization and borders, right? So um, it's all about expanding, right? That our understanding, I think. Um, like once you get your foot in the door and you see something, you can't unsee it, right? So something that um, we used to talk about a lot with Taylor in the VWA space when we we're doing our racial equity trainings um, was like, once I learned about something or saw something that was like unjust and that I knew we had to organize against, I was like, I couldn't shut that off anymore. Like I couldn't pretend that I didn't see it anymore. And I think that's what happens with folks. It's like, once you make them aware or they become aware, then they're like, oh no. And then you can continue pushing, right? Pushing the boundaries of what it means to like, you know, liberate people and come to this, you know, build this uh, world where there is justice, you know? And also I wanted to mention too, something that I always think about too, is like changing the culture. So what are things that, are highlighted that are prioritized in culture and how can we change those things right I think people see changing culture as this big daunting task and I'm like you don't have to change society as a whole but you can change how you move in the world you can change how you move in the spaces that you inhabit right so I think that's one of the more powerful places 
that people can like change things. It's just how they move through the world and change those norms and cultures um, as they interact with other people. I am, <laughs> you have such a clarity with the way that you speak that you've been, you've been discussing, you were sharing some of these points that we've been talking about for so long. And I just feel like you're stating them so well. Um, and so I hope that for any of our listeners, if, if any of these topics have been confusing before that you now fully understand what's going on. <laughs> but um, I really am thinking about that last thing that you said. It's bringing it back to one of the most fundamental ideas in making change is that no, we can't do it alone, but if we all do something, then, you know, there's, there's power in numbers. And so the idea that you're saying that it's powerful, that if we want to change culture, um, and I am 100% guilty of sitting there and thinking, I do not know how to change this overarching culture that we've been experiencing, um, since, you know, colonialists, came here. Um, Mm -hmm. So how do we change, uh, you know, 500 years of culture, but the idea that you just stated of, okay, if I change the way I move through the world, then I'm changing the cultures that I'm interacting with. And that will spread out, um, you know, kind of like a web. If, if I'm doing it, then other people will experiencing it. And then something that they do is different. And so I think that visual is inspiring for me right now. So i really appreciate you saying that um because everything is overwhelming right now (laughs) yeah no and I appreciate that 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 resonates with you I think one of the things that I try to keep in mind is just like everything we do ripples out into the world right um and you know I think part of it is that like people are so you know they're very tired right like capitalism really traumatizes us and exhausts us to the point that we don't fight back right and so I think um, in the small ways that we can move differently, I think that still makes a difference, right? Because if we look at like social movements, right, in history, stuff happened over years, right? Stuff did not happen immediately. Um, it was movement building that took years, right? And so I'm like, I'm not going to change the world today, tomorrow, but maybe down the line, something's going to shift. And, you know, maybe I was a small part of that. And that that's always a good thing, right? Like, and I think too, like, we want somebody to come save us. And it's like, we're going to save ourselves, right? I think, you know, like Mariam Kabe says, we do this till we free us. And I really appreciate that she has named that, like, we need to, you know, we're all part of this. Like, we're always, we all have a role in this fight. Um, Sometimes I see my role, right, as like, just shifting the way that I move in the world. And people are like, wow, like, that's how we should be moving. Like, people are always like, oh, my God, you always do all this stuff. Or, like, you're there, somebody needs your help. And I'm like, yeah, because, like, I would want somebody to do the same for me, right? And they're like, oh, I wish I had more people like you in the world. And I'm just like, why don't you be one? Why don't you do that, too? I was like, you can do that. It's not just me. You could do that, too. So, and I think people, like, don't realize that they're able to do that as well, right? And it's like, you don't have to, you know, you can do things within your own abilities, right? And within your own privileges, right? Like, um, but at the same time, it's just, I think people just need a reminder, right? Because mm, something that I've come to realize is that like capitalism and white supremacy traumatizes us so much that they really limit our ability to even imagine a world beyond what we live in now. And so I think that's something that I also try to encourage people like think beyond what we even know or what we think is even possible. 
Absolutely. That's definitely something that we talk about, you know, on this podcast all the time. If the podcast name itself is called Built by Us, because we want to remind everyone that, you know, we're building this future for us. And so I absolutely agree with all of that. And I think, you know, that speaks really well to your theory of change, because when I hear you talk about your theory of change, I just think, you know, more of the accessibility of it and reminding people that, you know, joining the movement can be as easy as working on yourself every day and just starting these conversations. And I also just, I really do hear the mission of El Pueblo having now spoken to Ileana and having spoken to you, you know, I hear the mission dripping down into everything you all are doing and all of your work to, you know, start these conversations, you know, begin giving these basic resources to people so that we can have these greater conversations so that we can address these greater issues and, you know, just really making the movement more accessible to people. And I just really appreciate that, that in your theory of change. Thank you. Yeah. It's definitely something that thanks to like the, the racial equity trainings through BWA and just like trying to think more deeply about like what, um, what my role is, right. Like, and how I can be a part of that um, has definitely led me to this place. Um, you know, not to say that I don't mess up, right? Because like, let's be real, I love going shopping, especially when I have a bad day. And that's something that I wish I could give up, you know? <laughs> um, uh, and that's one of the things that capitalism has taught me, right? Go shopping, go spend some money if you are having a bad day, right? Like self-care has been super commercialized now, right? So that you're spending money on self-care. So, you know, there are ways in which I still mess up, right? And like, I'm still trying to do my part, right? <laughs> Uh, thank you for saying that. Um, Alyssa and I <laughs> the exact same way. <laughs> uh, we talk a lot about shopping and what we bought over the weekend, um, <laughs> as well as the fact that it's 100% tied to our self-care practices. So right, exactly. Yeah, you hit it right on the point. Uh, <laughs> so um, moving forward a little bit into um, like the larger Latinx space. Um, you've spoken a bit about the anti-Blackness um, that you've experienced in the Latinx space, as well as um, the harm that capitalism has done. But I was wondering, so if you could um, touch on those further, or if there's anything else you wanted to say about a specific like issue or a stereotype that you would want to bring to light about the Latinx Hispanic space um, that we might not um, you know, talk about enough. Yeah, that's an interesting question, Sailor, because um, I think, and I, I think I can answer both of those questions um, at the same time, because a lot of the time our community is really treated as a monolith, right? Like, people think that uh, majority of folks are immigrants, um, when a lot of them are actually second, third generation, right? Um, and we're the face of the immigrant movement, but we're not, we don't, I don't think we make up the majority of, of mm-hmm. folks who immigrate to this country, Um and at the same time, like there are different like communities who are very tightly knit by religion. Um, you know, the Catholicism is really huge in Latin America because of colonization, but also there are Jewish and Muslim Latinx folks, right? Um, and they live in the state. Um, there are also folks who um, who are also Latinx and are white supremacists, right? We've seen this throughout you know, Trump's presidency. Um, so yeah, I think the biggest thing is that we're treated as a monolith and that we like think or react to things the same way. And really it's, it's very, very diverse. Um, especially with the, the complication or, you know, the complicated history of colonization, 
of slavery in Latin America, um, of the erasure of indigenous people in Latin America. Um, so even though I speak Spanish, I'm bilingual, I'm like, I don't actually speak my people's language, right? That's a colonized language. And that's, even though it's one of the, you know, most spoken languages in Latin America, it's still a colonized language, right? Um, so yeah, so it's very interesting um, because they're just like in black and white communities and the issues of like LGBT issues, sex work, all that kind of stuff. I mean, in climate change, there are varying um, opinions uh, about those issues. There are varying um, strategies around those issues. So, you know, one of the things that I would really like for us to see is really as a community, I think is like really talk through like, oh, like what does it mean to be Latinx, right? Um, especially with the erasure of Black Latinx folks, right? Um, because the majority of Latinx folks are either very white passing or very mestizo looking. Um, so that's like a reality that we have to contend with, right? So, you know, just like with movement building, right? Leftist movement building, there's just a lot that we have to unlearn and undo in our own communities. Um, and so one of the things that I would like to do more of is like that political education piece with our communities. Um, I think people who, you know, aren't really aware of the history that's happened both in Latin America and here in the United States, um, you know, we, we tend to repeat all the shitty things that have been done to our people, right? Because of the power dynamics, right? When you have no power, but you have power over somebody else, you tend to wield that power in a way that white supremacy and capitalism has taught us to, right? Um, which just further alienates us from each other. And so I think that's really where a lot of the work is going to be happening. Um, and, you know, and just having more of a deeper understanding of our roots. Um, because I think there's just so much of our history that we just don't know. Like I'm still learning a lot about things that have happened in Latin America, you know, US interventionism in Latin America and um, all those things, right? They, they add to the complicated nature of what Latinidad is. Yeah, absolutely agree. I think there is a lot of unlearning and learning to be had for, you know, both within our community and how people are viewing our community. And yeah, I really appreciate you bringing attention to that. And that's kind of why we even created this question, because, you know, we know that the Latinx community is not a monolith and we know that it's so diverse and there are so many different issues outside within that need to be drawn attention to. And so, yeah, just thank you for drawing attention to those issues. And you also kind of mentioned something that we all have to think about is, you know, what does it mean to be Latinx and what does that mean to us? And one question that we ask all of our movement makers on this podcast is, what does it mean to you to be Latinx in North Carolina? And so mm. I'm wondering if you would like to share your answer to that question. One of the things that I always joke is that Latinidad is a scam <laughs> um, <laughs> because it is like this made up term, right? It's just like a blanket term. But what does it actually mean? Like, okay, so it means that we're of Latin American descent, but what does that mean, right? Like, because when you think about it, who actually gets to use that term and who doesn't, right? So like I was mentioning earlier, folks who are mestizo or white passing can usually identify as Latinx, but people who are uh, more indigenous identifying don't identify with that, right? With Latinidad. Uh, and also black, um, black folks of Latin American descent also get very much excluded from using that term. I mean, if you think of like Amara La Negra, for example, Lala Anthony, like these are people that 
are very much in the spotlight who are black but also are latin american but people don't see them as latinas right um so it's a really complicated question right because who does that label serve that's something that i think about a lot it's like um you know who created that label who does that who does that label serve like uh because when i think about latinidad and latin american like people don't identify like that there's still a lot of folks who identify with their home country right so there's a bit of nationalism there right national pride um there's also like the intersection of racism and classism in Latin America that's really tightly intertwined. Um, and so, yeah, so that question is really complicated for me because it's got a very complicated history, right? Like what does being Latinx mean? And it's very, very complicated for me. Um, you know, it is a term that I use, uh, like I do identify as a Latina because people understand what that means. You know, I have Latin American heritage. My parents are from Latin America. And at the same time, I see the, the complications of using that word and who it excludes. Yeah, I really like um, how you've answered this question, just because, you know, we've been doing this series since October. And I really do think that it's important to think about, you know, who does that label serve? Why are we asking this question? And, you know, I really think it's a good way to kind of, as the series is kind of coming to an end, I think it's a good way to end the series to think more about, mm -hmm. you know, what that label means, how we're using it, and who we're excluding from being able to use it. I think those are really important questions and are go into the unlearning that still mm -hmm. needs to happen. So yeah, I really appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. And also something I want to point out is this is not something that I thought of myself. This was something that was pointed out to me by uh, Black Latin American creators online who have, who were like talking about like being excluded from like you know latinidad in latin america right like i follow someone on twitter their handle is she is dash and they do a lot of education around anti-blackness in latin america and even though they're were raised in the united states they live in panama and their, their experiences as a black woman in panama are very interesting there's also um a poet that i follow their handle is she is mela and um I think her name is Melania Luis, Luisa, I think. And she also talks a lot about that, about that anti-Blackness in Latin America. So, you know, I can't take any credit for this line of thinking. Like they are the ones that like, you know, made me realize like, oh yeah, I need to take a step back and figure out what that means and who we're excluding and who does this label serve? Yeah. So moral of the story, go follow and listen to more Black women. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And, you know, as we kind of shift into the end of our questions, something, a more fun question that we love to ask all of our event makers is, you know, your favorite piece of your culture that you like to celebrate. Mm -hmm. And so I'd love to hear just about, you know, what do you love about your Colombian and Ecuadorian heritage? What do you love to celebrate about it? Wow, that is such an amazing question. I think it's hard to choose one thing, right? Um, <laughs> it's just so hard because like, you know, one of the things that I love about my folks is like, when I enter a store, I'm saying, I say, hello, how are you? I talk to the store owner or whoever's working, right? We just try to like see each other as fully human. I feel like when we do that, cause like that's not something that you do here in the States, right? Like you don't say hi to the people serving you or like ask them how they're doing or go into a shop and do that. But that's something that we do in Latin America all the time in Colombia, Ecuador, that's been my experience. Um, and recently in Mexico when I was there. Um, and I just feel like that's so homey. It's like, it's very much community um, to me. But I also just love like our, our way of expressing. We're very 
the the folks that I know are very touchy feely. We like to hug. We like to kiss. Um, we're very effusive in the way we express our emotions. Um, you know, in a way that I think like we're taught by white supremacy to suppress how we feel, right? In order to not make people uncomfortable. Um, and I mean, obviously it's a fine line between consent and, you know, comfort and that kind of thing. But at the same time, like, I just love how how we express ourselves a lot. And I just love our art, our food, like something that um, always I always think about is like, we use every single part of the animal, like, you know, I, I love tripe, for example, cow stomach, right? That's not something that people usually eat here. Cow tongue, love cow tongue. I don't know how to prepare it, but it's really good, right? Um, you know, we, the indigenous folks in Ecuador, they grill um, pig intestines, right? In Colombia, we deep fry them, right? So like, I'm used to eating those things and that's not stuff. Well, I will say in the South, it is much easier to find those things because y'all have something called pig picking, which is very similar to what we do in, in Ecuador. Um, but yeah, no, I mean like stuff like that, like we're very far removed from like our food, right? And in Ecuador, I can still go to the market and get fresh stuff from somebody who like got it from their farm, right? Um, so yeah, it's it's just very different. There's so many things that I love of my culture and my people. So, but I think my people, that's my favorite part. <laughs> Yes. I love just the community of it all. Like, mm-hmm. I agree. I think that's a good way to think about it. Cause you know, when you think about family, when you think about the best times, think of being in community, you think of being with your family, you think of those parties where everybody's there. Um, I think like most of our guests, the things that they've highlighted have had, you know, some just aspect of community to them. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I agree. You know, sharing the little cafecito at the end of the night after dinner, yes. before you leave, you know, that's always my favorite part. Exactly. It's all in those little moments and it's all mm-hmm. about community. So yeah, I think that's my favorite part too. Yes. And I love also those moments that have no translation in Spanish, right? Like sobre mesa, which is that conversation that happens after you finish eating a meal, but you're not ready to get up from the table. I love knowing that there's a word for that. <laughs> <laughs> I wish there was a word for it in English because it perfectly summarizes that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like the the time when I actually just recently read like a, a Twitter thread about all the things that happen with like how long it takes for when you first say bye. Like yes. at someone's house, <laughs> <laughs> how many times you actually say bye and like what happens in between all those. Um, so feel similar to that. Um, well, thank you so much, Michelle. This has been wonderful. I am so excited for our listeners to hear this and feel like they know you better. Um, so before we go, is there anything else that you want our listeners to know? Anything that you feel like you didn't get a chance to say or a last um, pearl of wisdom or anything? Um, you know, I'm just really grateful that you guys thought of me to come on here. Um because as I said, I don't really see myself as a movement maker, but like, I just see myself as the helper. Um, and yeah, no, I mean, like, happy to have these conversations with folks. I know that um, the online space can be really hard to have conversations, which is why I don't get involved in like, Twitter fights, right? Because that doesn't do anything. Although sometimes people can get educated, but maybe not the person that you're directly like talking to. Um, but yeah, and I think also, like, People always want an immediate solution or a clear picture of what something is going to look like. And I think we have to be okay with like, we don't know what that's going to look like. We'll figure it out and it's going to be okay because we're going to figure it out and we're going to make mistakes, but we're going to figure it out together. Like, I think that's the biggest piece. Like we're so scared of 
a world without immediate answers that I think that's also that limits us in the ability to just figure it out on, on our own too. Yeah, absolutely. We always say, you know, the future that we want to see, we don't, we've never seen it before. And so, you know, we're just kind of building it as we go. We're building it together and we're just trying to see what works. (laughs) Exactly. We're, we're going to figure out what works and what doesn't. Absolutely. Well, Michelle, I've absolutely loved having you on the show. I 100% view you as movement maker and I think North Carolina appreciates everything that you've done for them. And El Pueblo is lucky to have you as their development director. So just thank you so much for joining us and for sharing all of this wisdom with us. I hope that, you know, we can do it again sometime soon. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. (laughs) Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us as we celebrate Latinx culture and continue to create a North Carolina that's built by us. And thanks for listening to this podcast made of, by, and for the people. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Connect with us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at democracync. Or you can visit our website at democracync.org.